Good morning. Welcome to Sierra Bible Church. Uh, if by chance I haven't had the opportunity to shake your hand or high five you, or on a rare occasion I might hug you, uh, my name's Jesse, and uh, and we're uh, I get to teach here most weeks, and and uh, just glad to have you, of course. And then for those of you who are here every week who support us, and uh, we love you too, and it's just good to see your faces again. If you don't have a Bible this morning, raise your hand, and John Beggio would love to uh, hand you a Bible. In fact, last night I was telling John I I pulled out an old yearbook. And Beggio has been a teacher uh, in the area for a long time, and I was in 10th grade, and Beggio was in the yearbook, and and I showed my wife, and my wife said, he looks exactly the same. (laughs) And uh, she even said, he's, has he ever had hair? (laughs) She asked him, I said, I've never known him with hair, so. um, (laughs) Thanks for handing out Bibles, man. (laughs) Yeah, he might. Um, I want to just mention a, a couple things, uh, uh, two things, uh, and then a, a third to tie it all up. One is uh, uh, our Mexico team is back, uh, made it back safe. You can give them a hand. Um, I've heard nothing but, but good reports. I'll strategize with John probably this week and uh, being able to share some stories with you guys uh, in, in the next coming weeks. And um, uh, But they're back, and I was just talking – uh, with Stephen briefly before coming up, who went on the trip, and and he said he just really appreciated getting to know Travis and his heart, and and seeing uh, what you know what he's doing down there, and and he said, man, you know, count me in. I'd love to go back, and it's a great thing to get behind. And so we're we're glad to serve Travis, glad to have Travis allow us to serve them. Uh, just really thankful for their ministry. Thankful we got to send a, a group of people there uh, to serve down there. Just really really good. And then. Um, and then we do another thing, you know, we've got all kinds of really good Bible studies that happen during the week here, and I've just, I don't go uh, for a few reasons. Um, I'm always asked, how come I don't go to the men's breakfast, uh, which I would love to go because I, I like the Bible and I like bacon, and they have both there. Um, but it's, uh, the, really, the answer is um, I do a lot of ministry, and, and Saturday is the day for me to be with my family, and so I've got to protect those things as much as possible. And uh, but but the reports that I'm hearing over there are just incredible. Uh, not only you know has Andrew Holbrook done an amazing job while he was teaching, and he's taking uh, some time away from it because of his schedule. Uh, two other men have really stepped up to the plate to teach: um, Dave Pastrell and uh, John Drollinger, and both of them are incredible Bible teachers. And I've said this on many occasions. I just say it again: we we have an incredible. Uh, resources of guys and gals that can teach the Bible. And when I say that, when I mean when I teach the Bible, I mean you can teach the Bible and it not move you and not engage you. Uh, but these guys, not only can they teach the Bible, they engage you and the material that they present is good. And um, and it moves you and, and all of that. And um, I follow pastor. He says, you know, good preachers, they, they have the ability all the way back from Jonathan Edwards to today where they have a way of engaging the intellect and the mind and presenting truth, uh, but it still moves the affection and the heart. Um, and, and uh, you know, some of you maybe don't care about this. You do care about it. You just don't know. When you ever hear somebody and you hear them preach or teach and, you're, and it doesn't move you or you're not engaged, and then another guy will, and you might ask the question, I don't know why, you just, I like that guy. And the, the answer is there are Bible teachers, and I've heard them say this, that, that really you shouldn't move the affection because the affection 
can, can lie to you. It's a focus on emotion, um, which isn't true. God gave you emotions for a reason. Uh, it's when they go too far that it's unhealthy and when truth doesn't exist. And so um, we've got guys who can who do both. And, and we've got gals, too, like Laura Osnes and my wife. She does a good job. She taught me everything I know. Um, and uh, they're just all great Bible teachers. So thankful for that. And then um, the schedule is like every other week or it's like the first or second, fourth. This, I, I mean, we've been doing it for a long time. I, can't, I don't even know the schedule. So here, here's the thing, like best thing to do for all the things that we do, all the events we do, all the places to get plugged in is to go to the newsletter. Um, and the newsletter is found in two places. One is you can find it updated every week, at least by Tuesday on the website, sbctrekkie.com, and it's right there on the front page. Or if you go to the website, you can even do it right now on your phone, and you scroll to the bottom. If you haven't already, we send that newsletter out every week to those who want it in their email box, and you get it updated. In there, not only does it have all the events, it has the family devotions that we do. Uh, So, you know, the kids next door, they're in a three-year program uh, where they go through the entire Bible over a period of three years, and we provide for you as a family devotions based off what's happening there so between you and your kids you can be going through this devotion together i would even say even if your your kids older and they don't go next door you have a teenager or whatever you could still use that material as a, a base for family devotion that's in the newsletter that's online um and so again if you you want it go to sbctrucky.com uh, go to the bottom and sign up and if you don't get the newsletter in a couple weeks email me that you didn't get it and then i email our web people and i say uh, I'm not going to pay you until you fix it, okay? Um, that's, how, that's how that works, ministry or not. You ain't getting paid. Okay. Um, so forgive me this morning if I, you know, it's it's hard being in the public eye when uh, you're tired and drained. I, I did a wedding the last couple of days, uh, was out of town, and got back last night and preaching this morning. And when people walk up to you and they're like, man, you look tired. And you go, man, thanks. Um <laughs> I appreciate that. So I'm just saying that now so you won't tell me later that I look tired. Uh, I, I am tired, um, but I am glad to be here with you. And the beginning of next month, we'll begin the Ruth series. So people have been asking, are you going to be in Ruth? I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until March. There's a few reasons for that. Um, but uh, I've got a two-part series that ties in with last week. So last week, I want to give a final word on the message last week. And some of you weren't here, and that, that's understandable and okay, obviously. And some of you were. And I've had a, a great uh, response from last week's message on fellowship, the importance of being in fellowship with Jesus Christ, and then fellowship with one another, that it's important that we gather together. And I'm pretty sure Wayne placed this out there. He can probably confirm this. Uh, but last week after the, I had preached that message on fellowship, I went out to the info booth, uh, which I typically do because I kind of try to police that info booth a little bit because people just randomly put stuff there. Um, you know, like the Book of Mormon shouldn't be at our info booth, <laughs> so we throw that away. And um, <laughs> I was in the hotel yesterday, and I opened up the drawer in the hotel, and they had the Gideon's Bible and the Mormon Bible. It took everything in me <laughs> not to throw it away. I was like, what does this say about me if I throw this away? Like, I don't know. Just, it was a real weird conflict. Um, and, uh, and so anyways, I was out there, and I saw this out there, and I thought, man, this is crazy. This was sitting just right there after the message. Uh, and it says this. It's from Eugene Peterson. Did you place this, place this out there? What was this for? 
How, how come it how come it was out on the info boost? You know, you just the Holy Spirit. Okay. <clears throat> um, listen to this. In worship, the community of God's people assemble to hear God's word spoken in Scripture, sermon, and sacrament. The faith that is created by the proclaimed word develops responses of praise, obedience, and commitment. At no time has there ever been a biblical faith or any kind of continuing life in relation to God apart from such common worship. He's talking about the gathering of the saints. By persisting in the frequent corporate worship in which God's word is central, God's people are prevented from making up a religion out of their own private ideas about God. They're also prevented from making a private, individualized salvation out of what they experience by separating themselves from brothers and sisters with whom God has made it clear his saving love is to be shared both in receiving and giving. And so again, I just want to highlight um, that you know, the gathering of what we do corporately is important. And if you missed the message, I just encourage you to go online and uh, listen to it uh, through your phone or your computer or whatever. It's all available digitally in regards to just the importance of us coming together. And so as we've been trying to just develop the idea of what it is that God has for us as a church and the future of our church, I began to study of, you know, some topics of what I wanted to cover over the next few weeks. Which, again, I, I'll just share with you, topical sermons are difficult for me. I, I don't enjoy them in the sense that I have to sit down. I, I usually, a lot of pastors take Monday off. I don't. I don't find it healthy for me. Um, they call Mondays for a lot of pastors Black Monday because uh, it can be very depressing for a pastor after sharing his heart. And, and so for me, uh, being someone who's naturally inclined to be depressive at moments, it's just easier for me to get my butt up on Monday, start studying God's Word right away, and just put everything behind me and not overthink it. Uh, and so Monday I come in, and and if I do topical, okay, what am I, if I'm not ahead on my schedule, what am I going to teach? And then I'm working it through and trying to figure it out, you know. And it's easy to just go with your own preference. Again, I, I, I like teaching through books of the Bible because when I'm in chapter 1, guess what we teach? So I don't have, like, it just takes a decision out of it for me, you know. Like, chapter 1, we teach chapter 1. Chapter 2... Chapter 2, I don't have to make that decision. We just naturally progress through it. Uh, and so I felt uh, a need this week as I began that journey on Monday, what I wanted to share, and I went down this process of, of thinking, okay, you know, if we're going to grow, uh, we need people who aren't serving to understand the necessity of serving and serving one another, serving the church, serving the community. So I was like, okay, well, let's do that topic of service. And then as I began to study the topic of service, uh, I began to realize that service, if, if we are to serve correctly, that we cannot serve if the heart isn't right. And that humility has to exist within the individual in order to serve correctly. And that if we're not humble in our service, and if the heart is not right, it actually, the Bible, as it says, it just doesn't count. Uh, in fact, Isaiah says in one place that, your good deeds are like filthy rags before the Lord. Uh, and I don't feel comfortable explaining to you what that original content means, but it's a lot gnarlier than you think. It's not like an oily rag. It's something even more disgusting than that. And the Bible teaches that when you do things 
in service to one another, if you're doing it outside of the wrong heart, uh, without humility and without Christ as the center, it's worthless, it's dirty. You might as well not even do it. You might as well not even show up. And so I realized, okay, in order to do this, do this service on service, we had to spend some time talking about humility and how humility uh, is the basis of which we serve. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you're able to as we honor God's word and read from a segment in Philippians that I will refer to uh, an earlier passage in, in a moment. But if you would go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. So uh, remember, we're going to talk about humility this morning um, to a small degree. Uh, we're really going to talk about this passage I'm going to read right now more next week. So we're going to get to service next week, but we're really going to tackle humility this week. So I just want you to try to uh, really embrace and grasp the topic this morning. Verse 17 um, of chapter Two, Paul says this, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him to you, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I shortly myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete that which was lacking in your service. To me, And this is the word of the Lord, and the church said, you may be seated. I want you to take note for a moment that Paul has mentioned really three individuals, including himself. So Paul, he actually says to the church that he's writing to in the, Philipp the Philippians church, he says, I've laid my life down like a sacrifice. It's been sacrificial. And then Paul did this amazing work of discipleship making where he passed his knowledge and heart for the Lord uh, to Timothy, and he trained Timothy up. And he says, I want to send Timothy to you because you know, basically he's saying, you know he's like me. You know he's genuine. You know he's going to serve you well. And so I want to send Timothy to you. And then, and then he mentions Epaphroditus in the passage. And Epaphroditus uh, was an individual that was sent by Paul to the Philippian church. And he tells us something interesting about Epaphroditus. He says, he, says, he almost died coming to you. And I'm glad he didn't because I would be really sad. That's what he says. It would be sorrow upon sorrow. So, the, so we're going to get into those three guys next week. But before we get there, we have to understand what Paul said earlier in chapter 2. So since you're already there, look to chapter 2 again. Go to verse 1 and notice Paul's encouragement here. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, 
any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but, here's the key word, in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So Paul says, listen, if you're going to be a Christian, you're to have the same mindset, the same mind frame as Jesus Christ. Jesus was God himself. He says, we can't even grasp this. This is something that is hard for us to comprehend, that, that God, the God of the universe, the maker of galaxies, would humble himself, be born in a baby trough, live a life of a human being, and to die a sinner's death on our behalf, and then to be resurrected from the dead. Ultimately, what Paul teaches is that through humility, the humility of Jesus Christ, there is salvation. And in other places, the Bible as a whole tells us, it teaches us very clearly that the way up is down. And and that we're to see life, the kingdom of God, in an upside-down way. The greatest among us is is the one who serves the most. In fact, there's one place in the Bible where it talks about the body of Christ. And it mentions the preacher, right? It mentions a guy like me. It mentions the guy that's like a missionary. And, and then it says, and then there's those who have the gift of service. And it says that person who has the gift of service is actually more important than the pastor. So basically what it says, I'm totally paraphrasing, by the way. But he says, hey, the, the, the one who, who's behind the scenes is the one who should be considered great. The real heroes of the faith are the ones that we've never even heard of. Some of you have probably read Fox's Book of Martyrs, men who've been long forgotten, but stories of men who have died for Jesus Christ. So the way up is down. Now, in order for us to comprehend what humility is, I think it would be beneficial for us to understand what the Bible says about the opposite of humility. And the opposite of humility is pride. Now, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to give a list of things that prove that you are prideful or would show that you were pride. It's a litmus test, if you will. And, and so if you answer, it's one of those things, right? If you answer yes to half of these, you're prideful, right? Like, or if you, like, to, if you answer yes to half of one of these, uh, you are prideful. So I want to ask the question, how prideful are you? Because if we're full of pride and we're full of self-worth, then inevitably we won't serve God. And if we do, we'll do it for the wrong motive. So here's number one. Number one, the proud value pride. They value it. They like it. They, 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 they're okay with it. In fact, the Proverbs teaches the opposite, though. It says the, uh, a better way, uh, the one who is better has a lowly spirit, Proverbs sixteen nineteen. It literally says, it is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. In fact, the Bible actually teaches that, that humility is more valuable than riches. So let me ask you a question this morning, right? All of you will probably say yes to this. I'm pretty sure. If I say to you, hey, listen, I would like to give you $100,000. Anybody say no? You would say yes or you'd say no? He's, you are, 
That is the right answer, actually. That's the 100% correct. <laughs> I wa- <laughs> oh, you have ruined my point. Now, if I had the money, play with me here, Bob. If I had the money, you would say yes. No one would say no. If someone said, I have free money, no strings attached, I'm going to give it to you, no one would say no. But if I came to you on the other side and said, listen, let me give you the gift of a lowly spirit, would you say yes to that? Because essentially what he's saying is, he's saying what Proverbs says when it talks about valuing the poor spirit over riches is it's saying that you should be pursuing humility the same way that you would be pursuing monetary value and physical physical stuff. Right? We have a culture that, first of all, we have to recognize teaches the importance of self-worth and self-value. You've been taught this. My guess is if you're of my generation, I know you've been taught it, that you are to have self-esteem, self-worth, and self-respect. The problem with such language is it still revolves around the self. You have to have value of self. You have to think of yourself as important or worth something. The problem with that is that the self never satisfies. You'll, you're never good enough. Even in this room, some of us are still dealing with issues we dealt with in high school that somebody or something, somebody said to us, right? So again, I was looking at that yearbook last night, and, and my, <laughs> my, my sophomore year, I had hair. I did. Yeah, on my head. Thanks for the clarification. I actually had hair. And there's, it's interesting to note some of the comments. I remember in high school, I had friends tell me as early as probably my freshman year that I had a receding hairline and I was going to be bald. Okay? I remember that. And, and what, the reason I mention that is because when somebody says to you when you're young that you're not good looking or that you're fat or that you're ugly or whatever it might be, you're not athletic, you're not this, you're not that, you're not smart. I was told, uh, and so, maybe I wasn't told outright, somehow in my mind, like, I have memories of not ever really feeling like I was a smart kid. So I never tried to excel in school because I figured what use was it. And it wasn't until I got into ministry and, and, and I was reading, I was, it was my first year of, uh, of uh, ministry, and, and we were on this trip down to Death Valley. We do this trip to Death Valley for for. Uh, isolation stuff to pray and get together with God. And we're driving back from Death Valley and I'm reading Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And here I am reading really probably one of the, the, the most in-depth books I've ever read. And I'm, I've got all of these other people who are my age at the time and I'm reading it silently and I'm just going, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And they'd say, what, what? And I'd read it to them. And then after I read it to them, they we don't understand what you just said. It was the first time that I realized that I could actually comprehend certain things within text that others didn't necessarily see. And all of my life up to that point, 21 years old, and probably even beyond that, I had had this low view of myself because of things that were shared in my life. Self-worth doesn't lead to anything. And we'll get to this in a moment, but, and I think you understand this. If you're here every week, you know we put a tremendous amount of importance on the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it means for us to grow in him and what he has done for us and that, it's, that we should be proclaiming what has already been done, what's already been done more than what, what, what must be done. We don't need self-worth or self-respect or self-esteem. We need Christ-worth. We need to know that, that God has identified us as uniquely beautiful, uniquely placed on this planet in a, in, in a particular location. I had this conversation with someone this week because someone said to me, uh, please don't move because of the snow. 
So someone in the church who loves me says, don't move because of the snow. And, uh, and I, I might have been talking with Wayne about this this week. And here's the deal, okay? I'm not here. I didn't come to Sierra Bible Church because I love the area. I didn't come here because I love skiing, right? You can have guys who will move to, you meet them all the time, who've moved here because they love the area. They love the area. I moved here because God called me here. I don't get to pick where I live. I have to go to God, say, God, what do you want? What do you desire? And then he brought me here. So here's the tremendous news. I don't live here because this, par- this isn't my paradise. Now, some of you, that's a fin- this is so beautiful outside. It's great, man. I've lived here my entire life. I've seen the same mountain every day. It's beautiful. But I don't know it because I've been here, right? Then I go to Hawaii, and I'm like, what, Lord? There's got to be a need here, right? I've never seen that island before. This water is amazing. What? You guys don't have heaters in your home? Okay. My point to that, (laughs) I'm not here because of what I get. I'm not. Just like Paul, it's sacrificial. It's, Lord, send me where you desire me to be. Help me. To, and the only way you can do these things, the only way that you can serve, and that's where we're moving towards. So we're, the only way you can do it right is if you understand that it is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about the Lord and what he has done. And, and, and you're not, you don't need, I don't need skiing and snowmore, snow, snowmobiling and snowboarding and whatever else it is that you Tahoe people do that I never did living here my whole life, which is weird, right? I don't need those things. I need Jesus, and you don't need those things. In fact, if you pursue them in a way that is unhealthy, it will lead to a heart that is depressive. You'll be consumed with yourself. How come you're unhappy? Well, is it possible because life has revolved around the self, and it hasn't been revolved around Jesus Christ? So number one, proud value, the, uh, being proud. Number two, prideful people need to feel better than others. This is why prideful people will oftentimes use others for, their, for themselves and they'll talk negatively about other people because by talking bad about somebody else, it makes you feel better. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever done that? Have you, is anybody guilty of that? Right? All right, Bob, thank you, man. You just did it earlier. Yeah, to me. <laughs> I don't know. You don't have $100,000. Why? We'll say things about people that are negative be only for the sole purpose that it will make us feel better about ourselves. Proverbs says that there are those who are clean in their own eyes, but they're not washed. There are those who are lofty with their eyes. They have high eyelids, it says, and their teeth are like swords and their fangs are like knives to devour the poor off of the earth. Right? If you, you meet a proud rich person, they love to tell you about how much good stuff they have. They like to talk about it. That's number two. Number three, prideful people take God's place in their life. They make themselves the center of the universe. God is no longer the center of the universe. The self is the center of the universe. The second Timothy says it this way in chapter three, verses two through five, that in the end times, people will be lovers of self. They will love themselves. 
Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanders, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but, but, but denying its power. Avoid such people, it says. Why? Because you'll pick up on their tendency. I saw an interview the other day, uh, it was actually a few weeks back, and it was LeBron James talking about LeBron James. And I was actually kind of thankful for the backlash. Some of you might not be aware of it. But LeBron James was talking about when he was down, was it 4-0 four, four to zero in the series? Or was it 3-0? to zero? I don't remember. They were down. And some of you are like, basketball, don't care. And anyways, he was down, and it looked like, right, Cavaliers are out. And LeBron helped lead his team back uh, from a deep deficit, won the championship. And so now a couple years later, here he is talking about it. And he says to those people, he says to them, these were the words coming out of his mouth. He said, man, I looked back at that video. I saw what I did. I knew it was spectacular. And that's when I knew I was the greatest of all time. His words, right? And, and what happens when somebody does that inside of us, we go, ooh. And there was a backlash. In fact, if you, to you know, speak more to the basketball realm, if you go and you look up the film of Michael Jordan, his retirement into the NBA Hall of Fame, he uses it as an opportunity to talk about how his high school coach didn't believe in him. He's bitter about it, right? So proud people, they find the need to make life revolve around themselves. It's like a buddy I met years ago. He said, he said hi, my name is Tom, and, uh, and, and I'd like to talk about me. I'd like you to talk about me. And when you're done talking about me, then, then we'll change gears, and then I'll talk about me. Right? If you, you know those kind of people that, that when you get into a conversation with them, the conversation is only good to them if it's about them. And they'll find a way to, to interject themselves into the conversation. So proud people, that's number three. Again, they take the place of God. It, it, everything revolves around their universe. They're the king of their own world. Number four, <clears throat> pride is always aware of itself and always makes others aware of themselves. They draw attention to themselves. Proverbs 13.10 says by, oh, forget, the, the verse doesn't work. Um, I read it in the first, uh, doesn't matter. Let's keep moving on. Um, I try to explain stuff to you, what's going on in my mind. I'm like, you don't even care. You don't know what's in there. And sometimes it feels like it's got to come out. And then I realize it doesn't help. And like right now. <laughs> Doing it right now. Um, Tim Keller has this quote. He says, he says, body parts don't draw attention to themselves unless something is wrong. Ego draws attention to itself because our identity and self-worth are broken. So, so what he said, when, when you were working naturally, you don't know, it's almost as if you're in life, you're not overly noticed, you're not under-noticed, you're just in life. Right? So you guys know, I watch football, love football, and there's some commentators on NFL Network uh, and some coaches who played football, guys who really went through, they played their whole lives in football, and some of them have got some jacked up fingers. And so you see them on TV and you'll see like this announcer, you know, he's got like a pen in his hand and he's like talking and he's like, you know what we need to see here from Patrick Mahomes? And, and you'll see this finger and it's like this. And you're like, dude. And then you don't even care what he's saying anymore. You can't stop looking at the finger. And not only that, not only that, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And the next time he's on TV, you keep looking for it. You know who has one of those is uh, the Michigan coach, Jim Harbaugh. And when he coaches, you see him on the sideline, and he's like, ooh, and you're like, oh. 
And that's all you can see. And what, what Keller is saying is he's saying, listen, listen, a person who's constantly trying to draw attention to themselves, it's because something's broken. Something isn't right. I was listening to a podcast on my drive to the wedding yesterday. I, I don't know if I said that. I went to, I did a wedding this weekend. And, and uh, so I'll listen to these podcasts. And, um, and they, were talking, they were talking a little bit about ego in this podcast. And they said, listen, we have a culture that right now, it, it, it waits for two individuals, really two big individuals on Twitter. And I know not everyone here you know, looks at Twitter or any of that. Uh, but he said, the world waits for these two people to, to put out their tweet. And the two people he mentioned was, in his opinion, he said, number one, Donald Trump, uh, and number two, Kanye West. And we're waiting. Just we're waiting for them to say something. Because they know they have access. First of all, it's, it's very intelligent to use that medium because nobody reads the Wall Street Journal anymore. They're waiting for the 140-character tweet from some particular, which is crazy, by the way, when you think about it. It makes me feel like I really should be tweeting more often. Um, it, again, it, there's this drawing of self. Look at me. Pay attention to me. Hear my voice. And pride, proudful people love to draw attention to themselves. And, and it's, an, it's evidence that something is not okay. There's something wrong with the self. Um, I got a list here of more evidence of, of pride. First one, as I just mentioned, prideful people long for attention. They become jealous of others' success. They can't stand it when somebody does well. They lie or stretch the truth to be seen in a better light. They have a hard time admitting that they are wrong. They have tons of conflict because they're always arguing because they're never wrong. They cut in line to the store or on the freeway because they are more important than everyone else. They get upset when people don't acknowledge their achievements. They always have to win. And the proud are full of boasting in their good deeds. And the, the issue with the last one, and number nine, is in the church, you can somehow show that, well, I, listen, I'm not being proudful. I'm just sharing with you all the great things I'm doing for the Lord. Let me tell you what I'm doing for the Lord. Right? And, and again, our culture is just, it's just pushing this all the time. And you have to ask yourself a question, like, like when you are looking at particular individuals on social media or television what are they trying to do? If they're trying to paint themselves in a great light, those aren't people you should be emulating. That isn't the gospel. That's not Christ. So when someone tells you, like, look at how awesome I am. Look at the life that I live. Look at, look at the places I visit. Look at the job that I have. Look at all these things that I'm doing that's all pulling attention away from God and, and, and onto the self. It's idol worship, but it's worse. It's the worship of self. And then it's not, it's, then what it is, is it's no longer calling people to worship God, it's calling people to worship you. All because you have great insecurity. And proudful people are the most insecure. And I feel this in my own life. I'm in the, man, I feel like I have a ton of arrogance. A ton of pride in my life. And I, I went out yesterday at the wedding, someone came and they said, oh, we, we call you Pastor Jesse. And I'm like, oh man, I feel weird now all of a sudden, like, what do you call me? And I said, no, I prefer reverend, right? Like, that just sounds so much like rev reverent. <laughs> I was like, just call me Jesse. Because I, it feels weird, like I'm, like I'm somehow like wanting a title or wanting position. or it, Being a pastor, it's just, it's just one of those positions in society for me that I feel like it could be just so abused. 
Because there are so many men, and Paul says it. He says, listen, I want to send Timothy to you because you know he's genuine. You know he cares about Jesus Christ. He's not like them other dudes. That's what he says. He says he's actually, con- he's actually concerned about your welfare. So he's not there to get money. He's not there to build the, the, the church to look bigger. He's not there to make a better building. Like, he actually generally cares for you because he knows the gospel. He knows Jesus Christ. I want to be that guy. And it scares me that somehow I could even be perceived that, where, where my pride is in the way where I'm like, what if people walk away and they go, you know, all Jesse cares about is trying to get more money at Sierra Bible Church. You know, someone came to me the, the first year I was into this thing, and they said, I heard a rumor that you were going to start passing the plate. Because we, we don't pass the plate, if you didn't notice. Some of you were like, what's a plate? <laughs> you, you've been here that long. And, uh, and I was like, no. Who said that? And they're like, oh, I'm glad you're not doing it. Because, you know, that would say something about you. Like, okay, and, you know, for me it's hard. It's, it's, I, I don't want to be perceived as something that I know I'm not. But at the same time, it shouldn't bother me because my identity is where? It's in the gospel, right? So as a pastor, like, there's people here who, who like me, and I, I'm glad you like me. Thank you. And then there's those of you who are like, man, I don't know if I like this guy. And then there's the part of me who's like, I'm going to win you over. And then, and then pride gets in the way where you go, well, if there's people who don't like me, and you go, well, I don't care. C.S. Lewis actually says the, the worst form of pride is actually saying, I don't care what someone thinks. So there again, there's this tension in trying to understand some of this stuff. I can't be self-absorbed. You can't be self-absorbed. Pride will kill you. And there's two forms of pride. Let's be clear on that. One form is over-evaluation of self. The other form is under-evaluation of self. It's still self, and it's still prideful. So the person who walks around says, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at what have I accomplished. Proudful. And the other person, man, I, I, I'm horrible. I'm no good. I'm not good enough. I'm not a good mom. I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good husband. What was me? What was me? That person is just as filled with pride as the person who's boasting about himself because it's still self. And the idea of what Paul, again, is teaching in this section is to get the eyes off of the self on, on to serving Jesus Christ and lifting him up. And there's a couple practical sides to this. Practically, proudful people don't learn because they never make any mistakes. So they don't learn. They don't grow. So there's no sanctification. There's no James. We've been going through James and growth. There's no book of James for them. Proud people practically can't actually view themselves correctly. Their lens is blocked. In fact, when it talks about the lamp of the wicked, haughty eyes, it's language that proudful people don't see the world like you and I do. If you go to a proud person and you tell that proudful person you're prideful, you know what they say? No, I'm not. They don't have the ability to see that they're proud. You go to someone that you know that is always putting stupid stuff on their Instagram, and you go, dude, look, dude, you are fully yourself. They're like, no, man, I'm just showing, I'm just sharing my life. No, you're not. You're trying to show everybody how cool you are. You're worried about what people think. And you know what those people say? You go to somebody who's, who, who, who is doing something, and you go to me, you go, dude, you care about what people think. What will they say? No, I don't. I don't care what anybody thinks. I've had people send me emails. Hey, man, I heard this, and I heard this. And, and they've literally said in the email, you know, I don't really care what people think, but I just thought I'd share this with you. So why are you emailing me? If you don't care, you don't email, right? You know what I'm saying? You do care. Proud people really care. Over-evaluation, under-evaluation. They don't learn from their mistakes, distort their view. 
Pride hardens the mind. Pride defiles you, hinders you from seeking God, hinders you from self, not self-improvement, but improvement in your growth, causes you to be angry and wrathful. Now, outside of the practical implications, there's one cosmic implication. That the Bible is really clear that God opposes the proud. It's what Scripture teaches, that he opposes the proud. Pride and arrogance are the way of evil and perverted speech, and I hate these things, he says in Proverbs 8. Proverbs 3.34, towards the scorner he is scornful, scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. And then James, as I just read, chapter 4, verse 6, he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Cosmically, when you are proud, God is against you, and the reason for that is humility is the path to salvation. In order to be humble, you have to admit that you have need. You have to admit that you need saving. So Isaiah chapter 57 reads like this. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. God hangs out with humble people. God says, listen, you want to be part of my group? You want to be part of my club? If you call it that, you need to be humble, which means you have to accept the insult to accept the gift. You know what I mean by that? This Christmas, maybe somebody bought you a big Costco tub of mouthwash. <laughs> right? In order, in, order, <laughs> in order to accept the gift, you have to accept the insult. Your breath stinks. Merry Christmas. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I did this wedding yesterday, and the groom, the groom came up to me, and he's like, here, man, have some gum. And I looked at him, I said, are you being nice or are you trying to share something with me? He said, I'm being nice. I think he was lying. <laughs> so in order, in order to move past this place of pride to get to a place of humility, the first step is just like wisdom. To admit, to admit that you are a fool is the beginning of wisdom. You can't get wise until you admit you're dumb. And if, if you could get a young person... To understand this at 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, dang, dude, watch out. That young person is going gonna to do an amazing job in this world. And get to that place where he says, I don't know anything. I know nothing. Teach me. Make me teachable. So the same way that, that the way to wisdom is to admit that you're a fool, the way, the way to, to humility is to first admit that you were proud. The first step is to say, I am a proudful person. I am not as teachable as I think I am. My mind is not as open to God as I would like it to be. I'm not teachable. When you get to that place, you finally become teachable. The problem is you have to keep that the rest of your life. It never, it can't go away. Again, why? Because you're not God. And some of you know this. The, the older you get, the more you realize you don't know so much. I heard one guy say, man, you know, you get older and, and you realize, you know, I, there's things I know that I don't know. There's things I know that I don't know. And then outside of that, there's everything else I don't know that I don't know. And that's even bigger. It's, it's cosmic. It's, it's infinite. You, there's so much you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. So humility is mentioned in some form or another over 900 times in the Bible. It's God's way. He created it. And Keller says 
this idea of humility, it's like the ballast of a ship. We've mentioned this before on a Sunday, and it bears repeating. The gospel of justifying faith means that while Christians are in themselves still sinful and sinning, yet in Christ and God's sight they are accepted and righteous. So we can say that we are more wicked than we ever dared believe. There's the insult. But more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. At the very same time, this creates a radical new dynamic for personal growth. It means that the more you see your own flaws and sins, the insult, the more precious, electrifying, and amazing God's grace appears to you. But on the other hand, the more aware you are of God's grace and acceptance in Christ, the more able you are to drop your denials and self-defenses and admit the true dimensions and character of your sin. Right? We have to come to this place where we recognize, yeah, I'm, I'm radically sinful, I'm broken, and, and, and I'm filled with pride and self-worth and all these things that aren't healthy for me. I admit it, Lord, and as I admit it, I come to you, hopefully in humility and recognizing I can't live life apart from you. I, it's just not possible. Even as a non-believer, if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus Christ and you're just trying to figure things out, you're trying to say, listen, what is it like to be a Christian? It's to admit that you can't breathe on your own because breath is a gift itself. It's to recognize that no, nothing can live apart from God. As Spurgeon says, the, the dust and the sunlight is not apart from God's sovereignty and control. There's nothing apart from him. So humility, what does it mean to be humility? I gave you markers of pride. What are markers of humility? Number one, give God credit. Humility is, is glad. It's happy. It rejoices in giving God credit. Piper says, humility agrees and is glad that God gets all the credit for choosing us and calling us according to his purposes, not our merit. Humility agrees and is glad that God acts in a way to take the focus of all boasting away from man and put it on himself. Then he asks the question, are you happy about that? Are you glad that God does it that way? Because humility is glad about that. Right? There, we can't boast of anything at all can we nothing so you'd be like man i'm really smart because god made you smart man i i have a lot of strength because god gave you the ability to work out but anything you have is a gift which leads to number two humility gives god credit number two is humility sees that everything that we have and possess is a gift from god everything again piper says it this way humility agrees and is glad that everything we have is a free gift of god and that this serve, severs the root of boasting in our distinctives. Whatever talents, whatever intelligence, whatever skills, whatever gifts, whatever looks, whatever pedigree, whatever possessions, whatever wit, whatever influence you have, put away all pride because it is a gift. And put away all despair because it is a gift of God. Right? You, you realize humility when you say, man, everything I have, everything I possess, everything, it's, I give it all back to God and it's from him. It's a gift, which should make us more grateful, yeah? You say, man, I, I don't have hair on my head, but I can, unlike some of you, grow a beard. And it shouldn't be a point of boasting, ha-ha, I got more testosterone than you. No, it, Lord, thanks. I know it sounds so stupid, right? I'm using a stupid example to make a non-stupid point. And the point being that that. We should rejoice in these gifts, and then, because we're going to move towards service, we take all that we have, all that we possess, and we give it back to God in service. So everything that we, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me. Over the years, I've been tremendously 
it isn't. Man, that is a funky tune right there. Oh, it's my grandmother. Sweet. That's a little bit too electro for her. There's too much, too much bump in that. Um, when I was in San Diego, we had this breezeway uh, at the church I worked at, and that full, that breezeway was filled with computers that people had donated to the church that basically were worthless. And, and what I learned in San Diego in ministry early on, because a lot of my first, you know, growth and examples and stuff and things, you know, just. What ministry's like, I was learning there. I was thankful for it because it was a large church. It was kind of like being in ministry on steroids because you're just getting so much so fast, so many people, so many needs, so many things. And and um, it was the first time I realized that, that not everybody gives the best to the Lord. And we had a whole breezeway we had to throw away. In fact, it was still ministry. They didn't have to pay to get rid of their technology, right? We did. And when we do things for God, we should be doing our best for the Lord. We should give the best to God. Whether that's financial or material or energy or passion, we have to take our whole lives and bend it around the opposite of it. It revolves around me, and no, it, it revolves around God. And so my, my calendar, it, it includes Jesus. My wallet includes Jesus. My car includes Jesus. My, my, my getting up in the morning, everything I do, Jesus has to be the center of it or I'm not going to find the satisfaction and joy that I truly, truly need and desire and want. And the more I make life about myself, the more, the more less human and dissolved I become. So what if as a church we say, okay, the, the, the next step for us, the next step for us as Christians to impact the community of, of Truckee, California and Tahoe and Reno and beyond is to say, okay, Lord, help me, empower me, give me your spirit that I can make my life less about me. And more about you. What, you know, one of the great testimonies we have right now in our church is Todd. Is Todd Kern in here? He is right here. Can I use you? Okay, good, because I'm going to. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Todd, Todd just came out of Teen Challenge. Graduated the program. <clears throat> 18 months? S 16 months. And... He went through the program, sobered up, got clean, found our church through that program, right? Moved here because he wanted to make Truckee his home, wanted to make Sierra Bible his home. And I was next door with him and Joe Casey, and Joe Casey says to him, hey, man, I know you're out. You're, you're good. Let, you ready to serve kids? <laughs> and he was like, dude, I'll do whatever. And he said, I'm in a place right now because he's, he's still looking for a solid place to live, still looking for a, a solid job to, to have that you're going to keep, right? I'm just putting that out there now because somebody's going to come to you and say, I got a job. Here you go. $100,000. Bob's got it. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, um, <laughs> I'm so stupid. So um, I had a really good point to that. And um, the, testimony, the testimony is, as he's talking with, with Joe, he says, he says, he says, man, whatever job I have, whatever job I take, I'm letting my boss know I don't work Sunday morning. Right? In order to change culture, 
and get people saved, you have to be the antithesis of culture. Everyone else in Tahoe goes skiing on Sunday morning. We're different. And most of you are like, well, I won't go so anyways. Too many people there. I go Monday. Great, I don't care. I don't care when you go. What I know, what I know is, is you give God credit, you, you give him the best. And the reason that Sunday is technically supposed to be the first day of the week. God, you get the first day of the week. I start my week with Jesus. And I make sure that the culture knows, my kids know, my family knows, my grandparents know. I come to church on Sunday because Jesus is important. I make my calendar revolve around Christ. And, and to, to do anything other than that is to just be like a, any other American. Just like everybody else. I don't want to be like everybody else. I want to be like Jesus. And he has put some things in place to say, listen, humility is this. True love is this. True, true happiness is this. What Man, what if we actually believed it and we did it? And some of you, you're doing it. And, we're th- like, and you're already like, man, I need to, I'm going to come to church again. And you, you, know, you come to two services or whatever. I mean, there, there should be something in us still. God, I want more of you. I, and I do. I want more of him. Not less of him. I don't need more of me. I know that. I need more of Jesus Christ. So humility recognizes all as a gift from God. Number three, I touched upon this for a moment, but at least I'll give it to you for your notes. Humility recognizes God as sovereign and provident over all, that he's in control over all. The quote here for that is, humility is, make sure it's the right one, yeah. Humility is glad that God governs the beating of our hearts and our safe arrival at every destination. If we get there, God got us there. And if we don't get there, God willed that we don't get there. Humility gets down under the sovereign providence of God and, and nestles there gladly. Right? You just went to Mexico. Didn't know if you were going to make it. You did. I'm supposed to be at a retreat next week. Right? We got more magical white fluffy stuff coming. And I don't want to miss out. So I'll probably stay home. There's deep sarcasm there. Um, <laughs> number four uh, and I've touched upon this to a degree, but again, to give it to you, humility, humility loves the gospel and infuses it into one's life. And ultimately, when I say that by the gospel, what I mean that by definition, especially from Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 13, is the idea of forgiveness and grace. We should be the most gracious and forgiving people that anyone could ever meet, which means that we give favor to sinners. Grace ultimately means you give favor to sinners. Somebody wrongs you, and you love them. They get angry at you, you love them. See, proud people, they hold on to grudges, right? Man, they can't help but talk about their past and how so-and-so hurt them and how this person wronged them. They, like, they hold on to it. Like I said, about the Michael Jordan example, used as an opportunity to talk about his high school coach, there's probably no greater basketball player in the world than Michael Jordan, and he can't let go of what his high school coach said? And see, the, idea, the opposite of that is grace. Hey, man, I'm thankful that I had a coach who, who pushed me to get better. Thank you. Just thank you so much. But I was talking to a parent today who's struggling with their, their child, you know, and there's just that tension, and, and the child's, you know, getting ready to leave the house, and, and they're, they're trying to deal with what it looks like to help them exit well, and, and there's just a struggle there. And I said, you know, man, one day your child is going to do just like what I did. I think I was around 25 years old. might have been longer than that. 
where I recognized in spite of all the mistakes that my parents made, like, dang, dude, they did the best they could with what was dealt to them. And those, those of you who've known me as, knew me as a kid, you're like, yep, that's true. <laughs> they really did, right? And I, to that I say, thanks. Because there are people who've known me as a kid, they, and the, if you encounter some of the people, there are not many of them are here anymore, but because um, I chased them off. No, I'm just kidding. They, <laughs> they moved on for different reasons. But they tell you, man, Jesse was difficult. You go to my fifth grade teacher who, when he saw me do a memorial for the first time, he said, I thought for sure Jesse was going to be in jail. Hadn't seen me in all these years, saw me at a memorial service, was blown away. So blown away, he couldn't help but tell people, man, I thought that kid was going to end up in jail. Right? Here I am. Man, thank you to my parents. Thank you to those who believed in me. Thank you to Wayne who believed in me. There was no reason for him to email me all those years ago and say, I think you'd be great. Why? I have no evidence of that. But, but graciousness, giving people a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance in your marriage, and then you let those things go. So the point you go, you know what, man? Like, I love you. Do you love me? Yeah, okay, we done. Let's go hang out. Let's enjoy each other's company. Let's build new memories. Right? You can't hold on to bitterness in your marriage. You can't hold on to bitterness within your family. You can't hold on to bitterness with your friends because you won't have any after a while. You'll drive them all away. They, want to, they won't want to be around you because that's what proud people ultimately do. They isolate themselves. They make themselves an island, and that's it. That's just you. It's a family of one. That's not any way to live. So we infuse the gospel. We say, okay, listen, for, for the sake of community, for the sake of health, forgiveness and grace and mercy and compassion. Where do I get that from? Philippians 2, to be like Jesus. Have this mindset. That's what he does for us. He loves his enemies. And then lastly, as we segue into what we'll teach next week, humility sees servanthood as true greatness. Humility says, listen, man, I, the, the greatest human beings in this world will lay their lives down for others and they'll serve because of the gospel. You understand what I'm saying? So we need to say, as we close and the worship team comes up, here's the prayer. Here's the prayer, right? The prayer is like, Lord, like empty me. Have you ever heard that song? There's a song that sings it. I'm, again, I'm not going to sing it. That God would empty us. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Like I don't, I don't need to be the center of my universe. I need you to be the center of my universe. And Paul Tripp has this great example. He talks about marriage and children and ministry moments. Because ultimately, and here's the thing that I, ho- I hope everyone sees, like, the pastor's job is important, but it's not as important as yours. I get to influence you. You get to influence so many other people that go beyond this. You get to put hands and feet to the things that I say. I was sharing with somebody who said, my, most of my job revolves around pastoring, shepherding, and training our leadership and our staff to stay on point. That's really the group I pour into more than anybody else. And then you have all your friends outside of this, all those coworkers that you live with, you, and you lay your lives down for them, and you show them the sacrificial love, you show them the gospel, you share with them that Jesus is good, and then, and then you invite them in. You say, come and see. Trunk or treat or a Sunday morning worship gathering or a small group or whatever it might be. And you say, hey, Lord, teach me. God, help me to be humble in these things. I don't want to, man, so don't need more of me. Lord, what I do need is I need your spirit to come in. I need you to fill my heart. You know, every, almost every other religion teaches you to empty yourself. 
Empty yourself. You know the Bible doesn't teach that. An empty self is a self that can be possessed by something. Demonic powers, spiritual principalities. The Bible says, no, no, no. It's not just about emptying yourself. It's about filling yourself. You are to be filled with God so there's no room for anything else. And when we say that, it's not just being filled with God. It's being filled with love, being filled with forgiveness, being filled with peace, being filled with all those things that are just buzzwords that are just awesome, right? In the midst of trial, tribulation, difficulty, hardship, I'm filled with Jesus. I'm filled with Jesus. And then that stuff, it just comes out of you. You know why you get angry? Because there's anger in your heart. How do you get rid of anger? Put Jesus in your heart. How do you fight that false worship? By worshiping Jesus. So as we close in worship, let's, let's have a prayerful heart that God would empty ourselves of ourselves, fill us with him, and then we'll talk about service next week. Lord, thank you for our church and our family. I thank you that so many of those who come each Sunday are just so receptive to hear from you. Lord, it seems, at least from my perception, there's a genuine gratitude of what's being shared from your word week in and week out. I thank you, Lord, that you have placed me in a church where I've been blessed with that, Lord, to to have people who aren't necessarily combating and fighting it, but are saying, I believe it, and I'm trying to work it out, and that's the best I can do, and just hopefully the Lord will fill in the, the, the worst parts of me and help me excel in those better parts that I have, that I have in me. And Lord, I pray they take comfort in knowing that you are truly going to do just that. You will you'll fill the shortcoming, Lord. But we've got to take time to look to you, to seek your face, to find you beautiful, and to build our affections greater for you. We trust you for those things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.